0: You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. Okay, <laughs> uh,
1: Let's start the show. Hey, uh, I, I, I want to start off with the, the usual topic. Well, one of our recurring topics would be uh, the Honda Kia thefts. So the uh, a few state attorney generals got together and were like, hey, um, this is really nice that you guys want to put in some sort of fix, but this is a much bigger problem than you guys are really admitting. And so uh, the state of Wisconsin sent a nice letter to the vice president general counsel of, of Kia and uh, part of their letter, which blew me away, was they're saying in Wisconsin in 2020, there were 895 uh, thefts of Honda and Kia vehicles in in Milwaukee. Sorry, in Milwaukee, 2020, 895 thefts of Honda and Kia. In 2021, there were 6,970 thefts. And just to recap for listeners, this is the, the TikTok problem. It's not a TikTok problem. It's... It's kids get to go on the Internet, and uh, when they're not watching pornography or shopping on Amazon, they're watching TikTok videos on how you can just basically plug in a USB cable into a Hyundai Kia, and now you've hot-wired, and you can steal the car. Uh, so I, it's a Kia's response so far has been like, well, uh, we made the alarm go on longer.
2: They, they, <laughs> they really, really... Kind of responded slowly here and this is a, a letter from it's it's from 23 attorneys general to uh hyundai and to kia saying you know you've really rolled out fixes to this thing slow which is you know if you listen to our podcast and they say basically the same thing we're saying you know you've rolled out you know these manual locks that you that they've been giving away for people to put on their steering wheel they've rolled out a you know, I think it was a few hundred dollars by the time you got it installed security system that they were going to put in your car. And then ultimately after about a year of all these, you know, fake fixes that were all that were going to cost consumers money, they came out with a software update that in many ways, basically fixes the original problem, which is putting an immobilization device on these cars. So the key has to be around for them to start rather than just a USB cable. Um, and, you know, like we said, this, you know, the cons- the consumer satisfaction program or whatever they're calling this as they roll it out, just isn't good enough. This needs to be a recall. The attorney's general cite multiple deaths and all sorts of other crimes in the letter um, that have been caused by this problem. It's pretty clear safety issue both on and off the roads. And um, it's another reason why we think NHTSA needs to really Dig in on a cybersecurity standard that's not only going to protect our cars from, you know, international bad actors and potential terrorism, but also from the folks in our neighborhood who want to steal our cars. So
1: if I have one of these vehicles, what should I do?
2: Go get it fixed as soon as possible when they have this software update available, which I'm unclear at the moment as to whether it's actually available for folks who pull into their Hyundai or Kia dealer.
0: Well, you should also check with your insurance company to verify that your car is in fact still insured because a lot of the insurance companies have been pulling their policies from uh, certain models of Kia. And, you know, on a related subject, Kia and Hyundai have also been charged with employing underage undocumented people throughout alabama and mississippi through uh, their through
2: their suppliers through their suppliers Uh, yeah
0: and you know it could be a software supplier so i i you know i I think there's a coupling here because there's really a limit on what you can expect from illegally employed teenagers in developing software Uh, you know i i still think that that's a refuge for people who've had some technical training What, what do you think anthony i mean i I was told that uh, chat gpt writes all software now
1: Ooh, yeah Uh, maybe that's maybe that's the issue um but anyway if you have this vehicle uh the first thing you should do is make sure you're subscribed to this podcast you know because your car's already been stolen so you got a few minutes while you're waiting for the police to show up so go online, go on iTunes, Spotify, whatever platform you're using for this, and make sure you're subscribed. Personally, I use Google Podcasts. Click a little subscribe button. Go ahead and do that, and uh, and then call the police. And then eventually by that time, you the police will show up, and you can be like, kids stole my car! Um, which is crazy, because kids bu- illegally built the car, too. I don't know if that part's true. Um Let's talk EV batteries. Uh, so this was a surprising article about the repairability of EV batteries. Um, it turns out that if your uh, electric vehicle is in some sort of a- accident or damage, uh, that the insurance companies might not be able to repair the batteries. Instead, they have to scrap the entire thing, which is um, which is uh, scary um, because you know we're we're. The idea behind buying these EVs is uh, they make you feel good about yourself. No, it's, uh, you know, for sustainability and things like that. And what I've read and been told and and I've seen examples of is, hey, after these batteries wear out, quote, they're not powerful enough to power your car, you can basically send them off and they can be supplemented to power your home or the grid or something else. There's still a lot of life in them. But it turns out... um A lot of these EV manufacturers aren't making it possible to repair the batteries. (coughs) From this article from Reuters, um, the quote is, while some automakers like Ford and GM said they've made battery packs easier to repair, Tesla has taken the opposite tack with its Texas-built Model Y, whose new structural battery pack has been described by experts as having zero repairability. Tesla did not respond for comment, (laughs) which isn't surprising.
2: Well, I mean, this isn't too surprising i guess to us because we've seen how even the smallest errors in the manufacture of these batteries can lead to fires and other battery issues um that result in you know potential safety problems out there and and the real issue here you know i think even even in addition to that is the, the manufacturers like tesla are basically hiding the software the battery management system from anyone who wants to look at it so an insurance company has absolutely no way to evaluate after a crash whether whether this battery is going to continue to operate safely um and you know in Tesla's the battery is built into the frame so it's going to be subject to a, a lot of the forces that take place in a collision so there's probably a you know a very good likelihood that even in some somewhat minor collisions that the battery packs uh, making up the full battery for each Tesla could be damaged um i think that's it's it's a problem you know for for all manufacturers i don't i don't think you know we've seen you know recently we saw and we'll probably talk about this later the ford lightning recall where these manufacturers are having to be incredibly careful about the, the manufacturing installation of batteries um, because they're, you know, a hot topic politically. A lot of people want to buy them and any potential danger is often, you know, talked about a lot in the media and it can put off potential buyers. So it's important for them to get it right. And, what we're seeing in this article is that even if they're getting that part right if, if these batteries are being destroyed and having to be salvaged in minor collisions and replaced with new batteries then we've screwed up the entire environmental promise of EVs
0: oh yes and uh, you know we've discussed in the past that environmental pro- uh, environmental promise is a promise that has yet to be fulfilled but i also want to point out that this is a, a part of a long tradition of american corporations uh privatizing profit and socializing the cost because what basically what you know what we're seeing is that Tesla with the integrated design it's probably lighter and less expensive because it uses somewhat less material than a design that would properly make it easy and economical to replace batteries if damaged but what Tesla has done is they've uh effectively thrown this whole problem over to the insurance companies Now, as the insurance companies raise their rates to cover this egregious example of bad design, all of us have to pay for that because we're all paying our insurance premiums. And this goes into the pool of insurance risks that they have to cover. Uh, This is very little different than a major company dumping their affluence into the river and letting the government worry about cleaning it up rather than taking responsibility for it themselves. So uh, I don't know if that was their intention, but that is, in fact, the result. They're privatizing the cash flow and the profits, socializing the serious costs associated with this.
1: So is this similar to like our cell phones, for example, where a lot of them you can't replace the battery because everything's glued in there tight? Um, So if your phone dies or there's some scratch on it, you need to replace the entire phone instead of just the component. Like if my battery dies, the rest of my phone works fine i'm out of phone
0: but yeah, it's a, it is uh, it is similar to that it's a, it's the same design concept okay. now your phone your phone is lighter and cheaper because instead of making it repairable they just glued it into place
2: and i'll, I'll also point out that this is also um an issue Because of the way in which the batteries are being developed and put into cars, we're putting, you know, big batteries capable of long ranges permanently affixed into vehicles versus doing what some companies are doing in America and in China and all over the world and Europe as well swapping out batteries that are capable of taking you to and from your destination these are batteries that aren't built into the frame they won't be um you know they won't result in the vehicle being totaled if there is a minor collision they that so it's a you know it's in many ways a better alternative but it's not one that most manufacturers are choosing to pursue in the united states i have a
0: flashlight in my house that has a lovely modular design and when the battery wears down I open up the case and pop in a new battery and, of course, um, environmentally securely dispose of the used battery. But that's a lovely modular design. There's a long precedent for that. And um, it's not obvious at all why that same precedent hasn't been adopted by the electric vehicle manufacturers.
1: Okay, so I, I think I've read about this before. Where So I have an EV in this kind of scenario, and instead of worrying about range, I'm, well, I don't know, maybe I'm subscribed to a service. And instead of pulling into a place to get charged, I pull into a, a bay or something like that, and they drop my battery out, put a new fresh battery in, and I'm on my way.
0: Yep, there's, a Ch- there's a Chinese company that is in that, trying to develop that business. They are actually have opened a facility in Europe, maybe yep. a couple of facilities to do that. I think the name of the company is Neo, if I remember right. That
2: sounds right. Mm. Okay, and no one in the U.S. is doing this. There actually is. There was a battery swapping company. I saw an announcement from the United States just a couple of weeks ago, um, but I don't remember their name. Is there and any? Maybe, maybe it's Ample.
1: Okay. Was there any safety concerns around this to approach or design,
2: or is this we don't know?
0: Oh, Do sure. I mean... There are safety concerns. There are always safety concerns.
2: <laughs> I mean, these I, batteries. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, I think our safety concerns there with the replacement batteries are kind of, it, it, they reduce a lot of our safety concerns around the added weight of EV batteries that are going into vehicles. If we're putting a battery that gets you, you know, working back on your commute say a 50 mile range battery in your car it's going to weigh a lot less than a 250 mile range battery and if you are in a crash then there's going to be less weight transfer between your car the other vehicle or whatever object you hit there's going to be you know uh, less catastrophic results simply based on lower weight involved um so that's really where I think battery swapping contributes to a safety benefit here. Um, you know, there may be safety concerns we haven't even considered around battery swapping. I know that with lithium ion batteries, there is going to be some concern over, you know, potential fires in these facilities that are storing dozens or hundreds of batteries at the same time that seems like a you know something that where they're going to have to be a lot of safeguards and and systems put in place to manage the uh the you know the inventory of batteries um but other than that i mean i think the weight reduction that could be accomplished by battery swapping itself could could reduce a, a a lot of the potential problems we're seeing with some of the heavier EVs and very large pickups and SUVs that are that are hitting the roads in the next year or two
0: well I'm with you on that and you know one of the reasons why I'm a fan of efficient hybrid vehicles is because the overall weight comes way down you've got a smaller battery in it and you have much higher thermodynamic efficiency than you've got in a conventionally powered car uh, thermodynamic efficiency is ultimately what's going to drive the environmental consequences of the vehicle that you're in. Um, and the other thing about swapping the batteries that you got to recognize is that these are really big. They weigh over a ton, sometimes a couple tons. They've got a lot of energy stored in them. Um, if they are installed improperly, they're going to fall off of the car and uh, it's going to have a lot of consequences as well. So the Yeah, there's a lot of safety issues associated with this, in addition to the normal consequential safety implications of the electric battery uh, powered cars.
1: Well, hey, listener, have the police arrived yet? Have you started filling out the report on your Hyundai Kia that a 14 year old just stole? Um, Have you subscribed to the podcast? Have you started becoming a monthly donor? know well well uh, you're waiting for that to happen uh, here's some news since you're the driver good thing you're not sitting in the back seat um, if you can try never to sit in the back seat of a car mainly an suv uh, the insurance institute for highway safety came out with a good report saying that rear passenger protection falls short in most mid-size suvs um, and the federal government is doing nothing about it so <laughs> Hope you don't like your kids that much.
2: Yeah, so the IHS, this is their regular round of crash testing of midsize SUVs and only a small handful of them. I'll mention also that this is part of um, the Insurance Institute's push to do more testing on um rear seat passengers um because you know it's something that we've identified and a number of other or, or other organizations have identified as a long-term problem in vehicle safety is that we've you know the majority of drive the majority of people in vehicles are drivers or passengers and have been throughout most of history you know and now more people are sitting in the back but also for years we've been seeing a lot of issues involving children particularly who are who are being put in the back seat and some of the safety problems that um happen when you know the design of vehicles is and the testing that goes on at NHTSA at the NCAP testing is really focused on those front seat passengers and you know NHTSA's NCAP and NHTSA's uh federal motor vehicle safety standard testing and certification don't require you know dummies in the back seats they're not testing for um damage to potential occupants in the rear seats and that's something that is critical um that for for the federal government to do and for manufacturers to start doing so we're, you know we're very happy that ihs has has really started looking at the rear seats and you know i believe consumer reports is also doing something similar in their ratings um um, but, you know, basically it's been, you know, 50 years in some cases since some some rear seat problems that have been identified have sat there and not been fixed. The one that we we have worked on most often is the um, problem with front seat uh collapse so the front seats collapse into the back seat which results frequently in the driver or passenger in the front seats head uh making contact with children in rear seats um they can be in car seats or sitting in the passenger seat or booster seat um which is a terrible and devastating uh Tragedy. I mean, it happens a lot. There are children who are killed and there are many children who are left permanently injured. And, you know, this has been happening now for fifty. years plus and it's you know the data is hard to collect and it's a standard that's a little more difficult to write than a lot of nits rule because you have to balance the protection to the front seat passengers or, or the driver as well against some of the back seat stuff so there, there are some modifications that we think can be made to to front seats that would prevent this problem. And NHTSA just hasn't shown any interest in doing that. this is also very late on rear seat belt reminder. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the other things we've been pushing on like hot cars to protect children in rear seats. So basically rear seat passengers um, in the history of auto safety regulations are like Rodney Dangerfield. They don't get a lot of respect.
0: It's also the, uh, to some extent, proof of the maxim that no good deed goes unpunished the you know as as despite all these horrific injuries that have been going on for a long time in the uh back seat the seat back collapse and the other items michael has talked about there are no there's no evidence that they're more dangerous now than they've been in the past part of what we're seeing is that the front seats have been getting a lot safer so in absolute terms the rear seats aren't necessarily any worse than they've ever been but in comparison with the safety improvements that have been made in the front seats in relative terms they're getting to be much worse than they were before they don't have the same safety features that are available in the front seat and simply they don't have the attention from the regulators that's needed to make them as safe as the front seat passengers are are, you know now benefiting from that technology.
1: Is there anyone doing a good job or an acceptable job?
0: Yes, according to the same study, IHS, they had some good ratings for uh, I think three of the SUVs they tested. It I, yeah, I think it was Ford,
2: Ford two. There were two Fords. Mm-hmm. I think the Explorer, maybe the Mach E, and the Tesla Model Y, which
0: and they had the Subaru is, Ascent was in yeah. there and, and in a good category too.
2: Okay. And, so yeah. yeah,
0: there were some good ones.
1: Who who are the ones that are just you know a room full of knives and sharp edges in the back seat?
2: <laughs> well, there were there were some mart there were some poor ratings. So the poor ones were the Honda Pilot, Hyundai Palisade, Jeep Grand Cherokee, Jeep Wrangler, Mazda CX nine, and Nissan Murano. So that's something to consider if you're buying one of those vehicles and you plan on putting anyone in the back seat.
1: Yeah. So if you're looking to replace your Hyundai Kia that was just stolen by a 12 year old, the kids keep getting younger. It's crazy as time goes on. Um, maybe avoid those cars um, or, you know, put your enemies in the backseat. I don't know. <clears throat> so uh, I think it's time to go on our to our special guest this week. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, I don't know how to describe what's going to happen next. But so and I don't think General Motors can explain it either so uh general motors decided to put in charge of their automated vehicle manufacturer cruise uh somebody who has no experience in the automotive industry and previously created a video gaming streaming site and uh, possibly the most brilliant person i've ever come across in my life there was an interview with him in last week in fortune and so what i would like to do now is 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 have both Michael and Fred just ask me questions as this Kyle Vaught person, and I will just use the the exact quotes he puts in this interview that he knew was being recorded. Um, and again, he managed to graduate from MIT, which I do not in think in his case stood for the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It might have been the the Miami Insertitial. Something I got nothing. Look, I'm on. Give up, Anthony. Just give up. You you
2: really, you really have been triggered by by Mr. I think it's vote.
1: It's it's the American fantasy of failing upwards. Um. (laughs) So yeah, let's. So
2: you know, Anthony, I had you know just a (laughs) general first off question. how how far are we from seeing self driving cars taking people to and fro?
1: Look, there's no point in driving yourself today, even though we all do. Uh, You know, within 10 years, driving will be a hobby like riding horses is today. And I want to remind the listener, these are exact quotes from the CEO of General Motors Automated Driving
2: Systems. Well, and, and you and you did skip over in that where he oh, mischaracterized <laughs> gigantically the number of deaths due to distracted driving every year, which would not feel, fill any football stadium of significant size. It is a huge problem, and there are thousands of Americans that die every year due to distracted driving, but there aren't nearly as many as is being suggested um, here to promote robot car driving over humans.
1: But, I mean, let's just start up. There's, his exact quote is, there's no point in driving yourself today.
2: What world does he live in? Does it's he obviously not, not one in, in rural America.
0: He's nowhere close to me, I'll tell you that right now.
1: He doesn't live in a world where his paycheck signed by General Motors, a company that sells cars.
0: Like, you know it's hard for people to understand something when their paycheck depends on they're not understanding it.
1: Yes, but I was also happy to hear that within ten years driving will be hobby like riding horses, which makes me feel really good since I have uh, the end of my auto leases up. And
0: so, may I point out please. that there is no empirical data, zero known, nine nicta nothing, that shows that self-driving vehicles are even as good at humans under benign circumstances and there is empirical data that shows that self-driving vehicles based upon the latest data released from our friends at waymo is at least 1500 times as hazardous as human drivers in terms of the critical factors in a crash deriving from a defect in the vehicle That's a critical parameter. So, you know, that factor of 1,500 and relative safety is something that I think people need to address rather than the fantasy that in 10 years we'll all be in the Jetson family.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kyle goes on to say that um, a lot of congestion problems are because of how humans drive. Uh, Basically, he thinks that humans are really bad at driving he's clearly never been in a gm cruise where it decides just to stop working.
2: Yeah, that's that, that's an odd statement to make when, you know, your 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 vehicles can't figure out what a fire hose is and whether or not to run over it. You know, it's it's to me, I mean, saying that it, it's this is just the mantra that, that the the lobbyists and the manufacturers have been putting out over and over again. We see it with that 94% human error study that's touted over and over again, which is very flawed. They're trying to pretend that all drivers out on the roads are somehow terrible and creating all these problems. Well, that's not even true. There's a, pretty small subset of super aggressive speeding drivers who aren't wearing seatbelts, who are distracted, who are drunk, who are creating a lot of the mayhem on our roads. And I would say there's probably you know, 50 million drivers in America right now who can drive a whole hell of a lot better than one of the cruise vehicles that keeps stopping the middle of San Francisco roads. So I'm not really sure what the hell he's talking about here. Driverless cars have a long way to go before they're going to catch up to, you know, just how I can drive or how any of us three can drive right now. They're plodding along in perfect conditions, but you know, they can't recognize a lot of the things that humans can uh, Uh, with hand signals and other things we know that they're not tested fully and their software isn't fully vetted and validated so that it can be proven to be safe when it goes out on the road so there's just i don't know i don't really see this article as conveying anything other than the you know the bullshit we've been hearing for 10 years now about avs and how they're going to take over the world and solve all our problems meanwhile we're sitting here and we haven't seen any evidence of that whatsoever
0: and we have seen evidence to the contrary i want to point out nope you're both wrong because uh kyle says
1: i think the vast majority of people will get around major cities in autonomous vehicles instead of driving
2: in five years i mean is he referring to the subway system Right, I don't think you can build enough autonomous cars in five years to even make that claim come true. No, he's the CEO of GM <laughs> Cruz. He said it. It's true. Well, I, I don't buy it and I, and talk to me in five years. And, you know, he'll probably this interview in a five or ten years will probably make him look a lot like the interviews of Elon Musk from 2012 make him look now, which is well,
0: silly. genius. He will have moved on to another uh, position by then. I'm I'm quite sure. But you know, I want to remind our readers that our our listeners. Excuse me. Is this in print yet? I want to there's remind a, there's our, a bad machine generated transcript. Uh, our listeners that uh, the way you sell something, the way you sell a, a a complex technical product, is you first erect a straw man, and then you tear it down by showing the virtues of your offering. To address those mythical issues, and you know this is this is a great example of that. In the future, everything will be better. So we need to do everything we can to make that future happen. And that future will include, of course, the self-driving cars and the jets and jet ports for your Rosie. Is that her name? The the uh, yeah Rosie the, the robotic servant to show up on time in the morning um there's just a lot of fantasy here and and once you substitute aspirational statements for the data that's relative to the system you've entered the world of pure bullshit now some people are you know some people buy it some people don't um this is your anti-bullshit station folks and just (laughs) just keep on coming oh thank you for giving me the title of this episode The
1: Anti-Bullshit Station, starring Kyle Voigt. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Vogt? It doesn't matter. I mean, I want to sit in the next GM board meeting, because you know all those executives who read this are like, oh, God, what did we do? This guy just said there's no reason to own cars. No. (laughs) Yeah, also, you know,
2: (laughs) some other thing, another thing that kind of caught my attention was, you know, saying, well, younger people, especially college kids, love this. Well. (laughs) They have the the what the the lowest uh, ability to assess risks of probably (laughs) any segment of the population. And they're running around drinking all the time, so of course they love it. Um but th- that doesn't prove anything, really. I mean, that may that must have been the same study they 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 did when they were trying to figure out whether or not to put the wTF button on the hummers. Uh, let's find a population of people that just loves this stuff and and tout it to them, even though it's pretty clearly not ready for the big time.
1: Look. Our biggest competitive obsession is not other people building AVs, but people taking human driven rides. How dare you get into a car driven by a meat bag?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the the more absurd things about the push for AVs that continues to crop up is how autonomous vehicles are somehow going to um, assist the disabled with with access to transportation in a way that already available services that don't involve million dollar cars do um through ride share or taxis and other ways so that's you know you, you'll continue to hear us talk about the use case for these vehicles, um, because there may be a use case for autonomous trucks. There, there's certainly a use case, probably for off-road autonomy and a lot of the and a lot of construction and mining and other heavy equipment trades. Um, whether or not there's a use case for passenger vehicles uh, that can drive themselves autonomously, there certainly isn't at the at the cost they are right now. Maybe in. 10 to 20 years when, the, when some of the cost of the tech and the software and hardware design have gone down significantly, this is something that that might be a plausible use case, but five to 10 years, not going to happen.
1: And Hey, look, when this becomes just a hobby, like horseback riding, this will be a future
0: Olympic event, hailing <laughs> a cab with a human in it. <laughs> you know, maybe like horseback riding, they could establish races for, cars that have human drivers that would be an innovation that you know a lot of people would like to see that sounds fun
1: uh speaking of is there a use case for this i think it was uh cnbc had a great video this week talking about how all of um businesses uh not video game streaming services but actual businesses Ford and Volkswagen and and Uber and Lyft, they've all scaled back their automated vehicle expenditures and whatnot because they realized there's no way to make money at this. <laughs> like there's, it turns out there there just isn't a use case to have a fleet of robo taxis. In the video they which we have a link to, uh, they post they basically sat down and did the math. They'd have to have something like. Um, about half of all of the taxis cabs that run in New York City, all of those would have to be robo taxis, like in full use, ten hours a day, uh, and that would be break even. I mean, that's a lot of cabs, and that's 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 five thousand robo taxis, and that would just be just for New York City. Um, so it's fascinating because I assumed there would actually be a business model, but these guys have spent billions of dollars and said, "Uh, we're not going to waste our money on this anymore."
0: A lot of mature companies have a professional called a risk manager who looks at the technical and business risks associated with any new business venture and their existing business ventures and says, yeah, this is a good idea or no, that's not a good idea. These tend to be green eye shade people who have a very clear vision. Uh Immature companies tend to not have risk managers because everybody knows that whatever they're doing is the future and that's just the way it's going to be. So my guess is that Cruz doesn't have a risk manager uh, very high up in the management chain. So this Uh,
1: green eyeshade people, is this like they're doing advanced mathematics? Like, do you need to go someplace like MIT? Or is this you need to, like,
0: finish the eighth grade level of math? I think they're using something called algebra from time to time. So, okay, eighth grade education. There you go. It can come in handy, yeah. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) i, I got
1: to take a, a a break and just a, a little breath and just kind of get the stupidity out of my brain. But uh, while well, doing that, you should donate.
0: Thank you for your advocacy of the GM crew's point of view, though. We appreciate that. It's like they wanted to, hey, Elon Musk sounds like he's a a lunatic. Let's get our own lunatic.
1: Um <laughs> okay so uh michael tell us about this wild story about driver monitoring um what's <laughs> that that's all i got for the intro
2: yeah it was kind of like it was a good kind of a, a deepish dive into driver monitoring and it's uh, they were you know when we think about driver monitoring we're hoping it can be something that detects when people are distracted people have a medical condition people are drunk people are on drugs uh people you know frankly i wish it would apply when people are operating recklessly or speeding to prevent that kind of behavior i'm not sure if that's something the majority of americans are willing to accept yet since people love their speeding but the you know it, it, the way this article cast in is kind of in a different way is, is it was talking about driver monitoring and its ability to support drivers in making proper decisions while they're driving. Now that would include things like the distraction and others, but also probably in, in other situations that we haven't even imagined yet. So it was an interesting article. Um, and then it also looked at, you know, the, <laughs> the title of the article, I think was something along the lines of, you know, here comes driver monitoring and there's going to be a camera looking at you while it's in your car the whole time. And that's a good thing. Um, now there are probably going, and then there have been a lot of objections to this type of technology over privacy issues and the fear that there's going to be a video camera constantly recording the actions of drivers in their vehicle and transmitting that somewhere where it could be used you know for nefarious purposes used against you in court uh n- number of other reasons i mean there, a privacy advocate could probably come up with a thousand reasons why they wouldn't want that type of thing working that way um but you know, in, in our world, driver monitoring is not going to be something where there's going to be video preserved. It's an active system that's basically continually evaluating the driver, kicking out the old inputs, bringing in the new, and, um, you know, basically making vehicles safer, we hope. It's got a long way to go, Um, and it's probably going to be five to 10 years before NHTSA is even able to think about putting some type of regulations around it. Um, But it's something that ultimately may help in this giant move to these level three vehicles that are being advertised in some pretty crazy ways, really, you know, as giving drivers the opportunity to take some time off while you're driving and focus on your coffee and your movie and your newspaper and you'll you've, we've started to see those messages and they're a little troubling because we know that there's probably not a good enough driver monitoring system being installed in vehicles right now to allow for that type of behavior and um it's an area that we're a lot more research and and uh, you know a lot more investment is needed by the automakers
1: wrong 5 to 10 years no drivers it's all robo taxis Eliminate the driver, eliminate the driver monitoring system.
2: Unfortunately, for the folks that are advocating that um, point of view, the vast majority of manufacturers that have been involved in this move towards self-driving vehicles have been jumping back and are now focusing on conditional automation, what some people call level three type stuff. They're
1: weak. They will lose. GM Cruise will crush them. (laughs) Thanks, Kyle.
2: <laughs> With more DS. You you were supposed to go out of character after that I, segment.
1: You know, I couldn't hold it. Again, it's the, the COVID brain happening. It's it's my my Bill Gates microchips are failing or they're overacting. I'm not sure. Um, I, let's, uh, let's jump into the, the Tao of Fred. There's another article we can touch on, but that would just take me away for hours. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's do the, the Tao of Fred and he's going to talk about AVs like we do all the time. Take it away, Mr. Perkins. You've now entered the Tao of
2: Fred.
0: Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so we're still talking about the AV Bill of Rights and, uh, still waiting for your comments, by the way, listeners. So we're eager to have you chime in. This week, uh, the basic principle is AVs shall expedite first responder safety and safe recovery of persons injured or killed after a crash, including providing means to readily render vehicles safe for first responders, second responders, and bystanders. So that's a, that's a mouthful. What does all that mean? Um, uh, AVs need to be designed so that they don't kill people after a crash. People assume, and I think rightly, that there will be crashes associated with AVs. Uh, AVs are, have a lot of complex design features. We talked earlier today about some of them having integrated battery designs, some of them having modular battery designs. All of these have their their own way of connecting to the vehicle electrical system. All of these have to be somehow effectively disabled, or neutralized in order to make the uh, post-crash vehicle safe to work around. Um, And in a crash, there are typically a lot of emergency personnel in the vicinity of the crash. There are police officers. There are uh, firefighters. There are probably EMS frequently around them. And all these people need to be protected. So how does, you know, what have you got to do? Uh, My opinion is that what you've got to do is you need to include and conspicuously display markers and instructions that allow first responders to expeditiously immobilize and render the AV safe. Um, it's not ever going to be appropriate for a firefighter to have to carry 1,500 pages of reference material that they need to look at before they get into a vehicle and try to save somebody's life. If the vehicle is on fire... You know they've got to act very quickly so there should be a standardized approach that marks these vehicles and says you know pull this lever to break the electrical contact or you know don't cut here because you have a power cable there's a lot of hazards associated with EVs that you know need to be covered need to be readily visible to the emergency responders so that they don't get killed and so that they can effectively save the people who are inside the vehicle. Um, So the corollary of that is the EVs must provide easily understood markings and instructions to render the vehicle inert and safe for towing or carriage and or storage after a crash. Many EVs, many electric vehicles, have reignited after a crash, or first of all, they have ignited after a crash because of the battery contents Uh, we've talked about EV fires in the past many of these vehicles will reignite hours or days after a crash due to some defect that takes a while to build up or a short circuit or something happening in the batteries Uh, sometimes these batteries will be spread all over the crash scene after an EV crash there's there's a lot to this Somebody's got to step up and say, "Okay, we're going to make it easier for people to save the lives of the people in the car uh and make sure that these vehicles don't burst into flames when they are towed to a storage lot or if they are going to store into flame uh burst into flames. We need to make sure that the people towing them understand that and can effectively sequester them so that they don't cause a conflagration." So AVs must also be designed to protect the first responders, the injured persons, and the bystanders against unintended vehicle operation or emission of toxic products after a crash. So I think the protection against unintended vehicle operation is obvious to most people. Uh, We have, again, going back to our friends at Cruise, the experience of an EV trying to run away from police who are approaching the vehicle. That's that's uh, kind of run counter to this principle, but one of the lesser known parts of this the whole situation is that a burning lithium phosph- or a burning lithium ion battery emits chemicals that are in the same chemical company as sarin nerve gas, called uh, organophosphates, and. This is a you know potential hazard, not only for the people in the car where the battery is burning, but also to the people around the car who are trying to save the people who are inside the burning car. There's been no discussion in the public that I know of, and certainly nothing by NHTSA, concerning the chemistry of batteries and the emission of toxic products as a battery burns. Uh, I, th- I think this is an area that's ripe for investigation. Finally, the final point I've got, and it's probably a much longer list that we could go through, but this is an interesting one because it runs counter to all of the libertarian beliefs that people are talking about for electric vehicles, how they you know, save you and make you independent and do all this. But AVs have to include a mechanism for remote emergency disablement by law enforcement. If you've got an AV that's running down a a highway at excessive speed or there's an emergency, the operator or the occupant of the AV is having a medical emergency, but the AV just wants to keep on driving or whatever. Law enforcement has to have some way of stopping the vehicle. Right now, their only option is to physically put a barrier in front of the vehicle that the EV is going to crash into. There's got to be a better approach. There's got to be some way for law enforcement to be able to intervene and stop the operation of a self-driving vehicle in order to save the lives of the people who are inside the vehicle, or to save the lives of other motorists or bystanders. These remember this: there's a lot of energy in these things. They're like hand grenades walking around uh, with the pin pulled. How? So I, I think the question needs to be asked is. How is law enforcement going to enforce the law where you have a machine operating this massive, dangerous vehicle rather than a human being that you can alert and ask to stop the car? You know, what happens when the police stops the car? The lights go on. The siren comes on. There's there's a lot of ways of contacting the driver. Is the EV going to respond somehow to the flashing blue lights or the officer or the the loudspeaker on top of the officer's car, uh, I, I think this is a huge sleeper issue that really needs to be addressed. How is law enforcement going to do its job? Even going beyond that a little bit, how is law enforcement going to verify that the hidden safety critical factors inside the control system of the vehicle are all operating properly, whether this is part of a safety inspection or a, a spot inspection of you know, a highway uh, semi-tractor trailer, right? Police will stop, track the trailers, and they'll do a safety inspection. They'll look at the tires, they'll look at the records, they'll look at how long the driver's been driving, the logbook, all those things. How is a, How is law enforcement going to look at the status of the safety systems in an EV when a lot of those safety-critical features... Are hidden and not visible, not visually inspectable. Uh, another issue that I think deserves uh, demands a lot of attention. So uh, that's a that's a bit of a speech. What what do you think?
1: I think AVs are great because you have one less person in the car, one less person to save passengers. Jetpacks, all of them have jetpacks on. That's how they get out.
0: Well, oh, in your role oh. as in your role as CEO of Cruise. What, what is the applicable quote that we can come to? <laughs>
1: uh, uh, you know, I closed the article. It, just having it open was making me dumber. Uh, <laughs> the applicable quote was, uh, look, car, cops don't pull over
2: AVs. Why would they do it, man? Yeah, they drive perfect. Cops will never touch them. <laughs> exactly. They don't need to pull them over.
1: And, and that GM cruise I was driving away from the police, cop was wrong.
2: In fact, the cops you know. will be riding in AVs,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: I mean, in the Jetson world, there are still police in the Jetson vehicles, flashing lights. So is that the the Jetson standard that we need to apply here? But they are robot and, cops, aren't they? And I, I notice in your comments as CEO of Cruise that you say some of the sensing technology we put on these vehicles can already see through snow, fog, and rain. Well, that's interesting, but it's apparent that some of them cannot see through fog, rain. And so, uh, you know, of course, you know, since you no longer need to have a car, I guess you don't have to consider fog and rain and all those. But never mind, I digress. I, you know, I think these are, these are really serious issues that are down the road, but I think they really need some attention from the, the regulators, as well as the people designing these vehicles. You know, a uh, we need to address these instead of simply the aspirational comments that in the future, everything will be better. Well, everything will be better if you address these problems that we can see today. I don't know. And I've seen some movies that in the future, everything is
1: not better. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, you ever see the movie Brazil? Anyway, um, speaking of someone who believes that the everything in the future, everything out of their mouth makes everything better, uh, the Washington Post had this Hilarious, great article on the head of Tesla, a guy named Elon Musk, uh, and they had a bunch of interviews with uh, engineers working there and talking about how self-driving has failed. And one of the things, and we've talked about this before, is that Elon Musk says, hey, I want to save costs. Great idea. So to self-driving cars, let's get rid of radar systems because um, there's cameras on cars and hey, my eyeballs work. Why shouldn't cameras work? Granted, anybody who's ever used a backup camera and it's dirty and you realize it's inoperable would know the answer to this question. But, you know, it, Elon Musk lives in a dirt free world.
0: Um, <laughs> We can only just imagine what it's like to live there. I can't imagine that's true with all the children he's got from his <laughs> several households.
2: Oh, he the The thing about the article that I was interested in was the, obviously, the this belief that just a camera is going to be able to accomplish the entire task of uh, figuring out whether objects in its environment are, you know, <laughs> I lost my complete train of thought there, Anthony. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I did nothing. I wasn't even looking at you. The, uh, but it's it's the reliance on this. You know, we've talked about sensor fusion. Uh, on the podcast and how having more than one sensor looking at the external environment to determine what's there is critical and raises the um, reliability and um, the ability of vehicles to recognize things in their environment to much better levels than just one sensor or one camera alone could ever hope to do Um, sensor fusion.
1: Is that like when I'm driving down the road and I can hear things and I can feel the road conditions am i yes
2: you are a you are a you have multiple sensors that you're fusing in your mind to produce good outcomes for you while you're driving Uh and the teslas are just going based on visual information and based on what we continue to talk about this promise of some type of ai god that's going to make everything better that's basically with a vision that Musk rolled out when they removed the radar from these cars saying, oh, these cameras can, you know, we we take all the inputs and roll them through our machine learning process and boom, we've got safety coming out the other end. That's just not how it works. Um, and it's not how, you know, it's an aspiration to, you know, we hope that one day cars will be able to learn and create their own rules and make us all safer without us having to do anything. But I don't know if that's ever going to become a reality. It's it's a matter of using more sensors and making sure that the inputs these vehicles are getting is are correct. It's what's going to make the difference in the end and and not all this hype and this reliance on technology where there may not be a solution there.
0: Well, I noticed, Anthony, as in your role as CEO of Cruise, that you are quoted as saying, we are working on a next-generation vehicle with the necessary technology to handle bad winter weather. So, you know, maybe they're looking at expanding their sensor suite too to make this uh, sensor fusion something that you can actually use. That's something that actually works. Uh, bad winter weather characterizes where I live, but nope. you know, that's not what we're doing. What we mean by that is we're removing winter. Okay. Oh, that's an that's an alternative approach. That's what we're doing. Global, war- global warming is, is invented to promote EV sales. Is that what you're saying? General Motors. Okay. This is what we're
1: trying to do. You got it. We can burn it. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go into recall roundup. Cause then I know, uh, you know, we have a hard out. Michael's got to run away. He's got to go save the world instead of contribute to our nonsense.
0: Strap in time for the recall roundup.
1: Uh, so this week, uh, Ford Lightning, um, they put out a, uh, an announcement, a chronology. I don't know exactly how NHTSA classifies this, where they discovered some problems in from February 6th through February 9th. Their engineering team de-energized the high voltage battery packs on a handful of F-150 Lightnings. Um during pre-delivery pre-delivery quality checked, which I like that they found this before they actually delivered it to customers. Um so this seems like it was a limited problem, or this is not going to become the Chevy Bolt problem.
2: Yeah, this looks like it looks like it's a limited problem that happened due to a some type of manufacturing issue that was ongoing from early February for a few days, it appears. Um they caught these vehicles before they were i think there were something like 18 vehicles that had actually been shipped out to dealerships that um have to be recalled so it's a very small recall in that sense obviously there's a lot more vehicles i believe that were on their lot that need to be remedied before they can sell those um but i mean this is a couple things i mean this is a it's good that ford is figuring these things out while the vehicles are you know are in the teens that have been delivered and you know before this becomes something that kills someone um but it also you know it it, it points to the fact that they are very very concerned about the battery quality that's going into these vehicles. And that's because of the problems that GM saw with the Bolt. It's because of some of the problems we've seen in LG batteries that have been put on a number of different vehicles. There've been some problematic batteries put out there that required, you know, massive recalls that might've damaged consumer confidence in these vehicles. And Ford is doing everything they can to avoid that. So, um, You know, there's more than just safety going on here. They want to make sure that their number one selling pickup truck when it's electrified continues to be that. Um, But it is, you know, overall, a pretty good job by Ford in getting this recalled quickly um, to prevent, you know, bad outcomes. So was
1: this actually a recall because it never made yeah. it to consumers? Okay. Well, okay. Yeah.
2: This was this was actually a recall. That's why they only had to recall 18. They they identified, I think, that most of the vehicles that were affected were still sitting on their lot.
1: Right. They said it was and, all pre-delivery vehicles. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next one we have is another Ford. Um, and this is uh, interesting. It's 1.2 million vehicles because of brake hose ruptures. And in the... The noncompliance determination, it says Ford approved service actions for specific populations of edge vehicles in China and South America based on certain unique road parking conditions and driving habit habits that contributed to elev- elevated rates of front, ba- front brake jounce hose ruptures. <laughs> so wait, uh, I've never heard of the word jounce before. Um, I like it. I'm going to use it as often as possible.
2: Great. Just don't Uh, ask me what it means.
0: Okay. (laughs) I know. I know. I looked it up. So uh, the Jounce jounce hose is the rubber hose that goes between the chassis of the car and the suspension components. So, you know, the suspension moves up and down relative to the the frame, at least on a good day. So the Jounce hose uh, connects those moving parts with the fixed parts on the car. And so I think what they're talking about in terms of the special conditions is really, really bouncy roads, rutted roads, uh, tough road conditions. That'll that will just cause like, a lot
2: more vibration. That sounds like old town Alexandria at the end of the winter.
0: Absolutely. And Detroit, if you've ever driven in Detroit. It's its, its own test range.
2: But so uh, this was like, this recall is kind of the, 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 Opposite of the lightning recall, which happened quickly and expeditiously here. You know, Ford has known about this problem in China and South America for four, five, five years now. And they've approved service actions for those folks, but everyone in America who's had this problem hasn't really gotten anything yet. Um, effectively what this has done is these vehicles are now five years older than they would have been when Ford, if Ford had issued a recall um, or a service action at the same time they did in China and South America. Um, And, you know, a lot of those vehicles are now off the roads and Ford isn't going to have to repair them. They're going to save a lot of money on a recall. Um, So I would suggest that this is, this is an example of, for not doing as good of a job as they are doing on their really popular and very highly advertised lightning uh, F-150. But
1: this is an interesting recall in that they blame, not themselves, but they blame the road and the drivers. Doesn't that sound familiar, Kyle? <laughs> See, if we didn't have drivers
0: in those cars. You hey, know. I, want, I want to point out in fairness to Ford, and we like fairness, that uh something, what, 30 years ago, all automotive manufacturers are forced to put in place a dual diagonal braking system, which means that if you lose one system completely, the other system will stop the car safely. And so Ford noted that, yes, this is something they've got to fix, but there have been no fatalities or crashes associated with this because of the existence of the dual diagonal braking system. So I want to point out again, the efficacy of federal standards for vehicle safety the fact that the federal standard requires the dual diagonal braking system is what has saved all of the people who would otherwise have been subject to a failed braking system in the fords
2: and redundancy is good
0: <laughs> well
1: it sounds like uh you know don't get your jounce hose in a twist um I think that's what we have because the, um, the other recall, we've
2: already covered that one. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that's the Honda seatbelt recall. Yeah, so Honda anybody who has a Honda out there, make sure you check to see what, if that recall applies to you because it's important.
1: You can find that out by going to autosafety.org, going to our vehicle safety check. And choosing your make model year, and you'll find all that out. And while you're there, you're like, hey, I want to give you guys five bucks a month. By five bucks a month, I mean 50 bucks a month. Hey, if you're the CEO of GM Cruise, just hand over all of your money Um, because you're you're too smart to have money. Like, what good could you do with your money?
0: Um, And you could thank us for all of our careful (laughs) comments about your your quotations. I would love to have you on as a guest
1: so i could just laugh for an hour straight (laughs) oh hey the american dream failing upwards um and speaking of failing upwards that's an entire hour of your life close to it um maybe a little bit more a little bit less thanks listeners um thank you for subscribing i hope the police are going to recover your honda kia um automated vehicles are not ready this week or next week and uh, we learned the term "jounce hose."
2: Take yeah. <laughs> and thanks, everyone. Thank and join us listening. next week for a uh, deep dive on defects. Ooh, you
1: mean like the CEO of GM Cruise? No, no. Oh, no. He's, okay. he's not a defect.
0: He's an institution. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.